As a marketer, you are facing constant new challenges, and I am sure that sometimes it feels impossible to stay ahead of the curve. That's why you should listen to the podcast, Building Better CMOs. It's a podcast about the challenges marketers face and what you can do to make your marketing stronger and smarter. You'll get fresh insights from the marketing minds behind Heineken, Colgate, CVS, FanDuel, AT&T, and dozens more. So follow Building Better CMOs wherever you get your podcasts or go to bettercmos.com. Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the Webby award-winning podcast that breaks down the five most burning topics in social content and the apps that you use while you're watching Netflix. If you are a marketer, an advertiser, or a creator, then this is going to be a fun 25 minutes or so. Today on the pod, we're excited to welcome back Ari Santana. Hello, Ari. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Question for you. What is your favorite food that reminds you of summer? Oh, I guess watermelons. That counts as a food, even though it's like basically water. No, it definitely counts. That's like one of my favorites, too. I love watermelon. Fantastic. And joining us after almost too long of being gone, you know him as Kane Fair because he is Kane Fair. Hello, Kane. <laughs> Hi, Joey. How are you? I'm good. Same question for you, friend. What's your favorite summertime food? It's funny, Ari, that you said that. I was thinking watermelon in my head, but I was like, that's not really a food. But I guess it is. Joey verified. I'm going to go with a nice, like, street taco, Ooh. like something that has, like, cilantro and onion and lime on it, something like fresh. I love that. I love that. Well, watermelon is definitely a food here on The Five Things, and I'm Joey Scarillo, and I love cherries. You know, when cherries are in season, it's like perfect time of the year. Okay, now for the real good part and the main course, here are The Five Things. First up, Ari tells us about how Threads is the cool new hangout for brands, but anybody else? Then, Kane gets into Pinterest, adding mobile deep linking to drive more purchase activity. Then Ari breaks down how Reddit and the mods are taking steps to ease their tensions. Our fourth thing, Kane has a good one here. In honor of World Emoji Day, Emojipedia shared the most used emojis of 2023. And finally, Ari breaks down TikTok, announcing a new music licensing agreement with Warner. All right, let's get into it. First up, let's talk about threads. We spent all of last week talking about threads. There must be more to say. Ari, tell us about what threads is up to. Yeah, so when threads launched, like everyone jumped into the hype. And with the scramble of every person and every brand hopping on the train, there was no shortage of content. But unlike other platforms, when people signed up, they were bombarded with a feed populated by brands like Netflix and Spotify and basically everyone under the sun going, hey, how's it going? Or what is this? And despite the platform gaining over 100 million downloads in its first week, reports are showing that the app has kind of lost its luster, with threads seeing about a 20% decrease in active users and a 50% decrease in time spent on the app. I myself can attest to this. When threads first started, I was posting on it maybe every day. And now I'm lucky enough to have a moment to reopen threads once a week. But this isn't an indication that Threads is necessarily dying. The app is expected to roll out a sophisticated search tool, which will help hashtags and chronological feed, 
hopefully. But until then, it's kind of hard for Threads to be a place for real public conversation. Users, myself included, have kind of lost interest in this like seemingly random algorithm of brands and influencers and people you're not really interested in seeing and are kind of waiting for a platform to be a little more fleshed out. Only then will we see if Threads can actually live up to the hype and become a true contender for Twitter. So Kane, like I said, we spent all of last week talking about threads. Was it too much hype too soon? Should I be seeing my friends on threads? What are we doing? What's going on over there? I think it has been an explosion of interest, right? I think part of it is due to this like cultural battle between Zuck and Elon. Like there's just this weird, uh, I don't want to say death match, that's morbid, but like this really interesting like competition that we're watching these two mega stars in the tech world like going at it. And I think because of that, there was a lot of heightened interest to threads in the first couple of days. I am the, in the exact same boat as Ari. I downloaded it immediately. I looked at it daily and now I'm like lucky to look at it weekly. I've never posted on it, but that's just kind of my nature. I, I rarely am posting. I'm more of just a lurker. It's kind of like be real. Remember Joey, we talked about be real way back in the day. So many people jumped on it, but everyone was like, this app is just kind of clunky. We don't really understand it. There's really muddled UX and you know, whether they fix it or not, there was that initial thought, like they probably weren't expecting that much activity that quickly. And they were probably looking to iron out some of these bugs. But when you get hundreds of millions of people jumping on it, it's a lot more eyeballs than maybe what B-Real had. So they'll figure it out. It's meta. They'll they'll figure out how to make it work and they'll pull in some algorithms over that make it more useful for our users. But right now I'm in the same boat. I think it's just kind of, it was a, a bright, shiny star that everyone jumped on. And now it's kind of like, well, how am I using this shiny star? And also one thing that I find interesting yet annoying is when you start these, especially Meta or even some of these other platforms that are brand new, they like push individuals to follow immediately that like you may not even be interested in looking at their content. Like they, they recommend the top 50 followed users to like kickstart your feed. But for me, it's like, I don't really care about these brands or these people that they're recommending for me. Like, I just want to follow my friends. So I think in that way, my feed was getting cluttered with stuff that I truly just didn't even want to read versus on something like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, I have a feed of individuals that I love hearing from. And that brings me back more and more and more and more. So we'll see. I think, they'll, of course, they'll iron it out and I'm confident that they will. But I think the hype was both cultural and just everyone was doing it. So everyone had to jump on it. Yeah. And the app itself is less than a month old. There is definitely some time to to work things out. You know, I did ask last week, too, why now? Why did they launch Threads when they did? And maybe, you know, a lot of it had to do with what was going on over at Twitter. But to your point, maybe it was a little bit too soon. But like you said, I think Meta will be able to get this right. Ari, do you think brands should be jumping in at this point? I do. I think brands have an opportunity to kind of hold down the fort in a way and maybe not be as active, but have the time to really flesh out like a playbook and a tone of voice and ways of working within the app that will adjust and coincide with how people want to be on the app rather than like kind of dictating what that is for people. It's a fine line between like how much is too much content as a brand to be putting out on threads right now. But everyone's already on it. No one's deleting their threads account because then they'll delete their Instagram. With that being said, it's not like people aren't going anywhere. Their eyes might just not be there yet. Yeah, for sure. So we will 
definitely keep talking about threads. I'm sure it will come up almost every other week on this podcast. But let's pivot now to another platform. Kane, tell us about Pinterest and adding mobile deep linking to drive more purchase activity. Yeah, so Pinterest is ramping up their e-commerce and um, ways for purchase activity on their platform, which is, a, in my opinion, a brilliant idea. And I've talked about this in the past on a previous podcast of the impact that a heightened e-commerce experience on Pinterest could benefit both them and the user going through their platform. So this week, Pinterest launched another way for brands to drive traffic from the app with this deep linking from pins that will direct users back to a specific page and participating retailers own mobile apps. So it's going to make it a lot easier to capitalize on the attention of people who are on Pinterest or pinners who come to the platform in a shopping mindset versus just an inspirational mindset, really by directing them along this path, actually get to the purchase funnel and the making a purchase moment. So as explained by Pinterest, this is for retailers. Mobile deep links will instantly direct Pinterest users to a specific page in their mobile app, making it easier to shop for products after clicking on a shopping ad they discovered on Pinterest. Eliminating extra steps and clicks can ultimately have an incremental impact on a retailer's shopping campaign. So Pinterest deep links will be available within their shopping ad with click-throughs automatically opening up the product listing in a retailer's app on the user's device if they have it installed. Potentially valuable addition, I think providing more direct traffic benefit from Pinterest can help facilitate conversation or conversions in your own app. And of course, Pinterest also has their own product pins and other shopping options, uh, which are designed to really maximize the buying activity of the app. But I think they're really connecting users back to the, the actual retailer's website, which can make that deep linking more valuable or a more viable pathway to driving customer traffic and ultimately you know, their goal is to activate more brands in Pinterest as a way to drive their shopping habits versus just being an inspirational platform. So really interesting. They're obviously tapping into e-commerce a bit more and finding ways to drive that seamless transition from seeing something to purchasing something. And Pinterest being so visual is one of those, in my opinion, one of the, one of the best drivers to consideration, at least, and then ultimately decision-making for a purchase. I mean, this sounds like a no-brainer. This is, sounds like a great move for Pinterest. Ari, is the functionality of this going to be similar to shopping on Instagram? Potentially. I, for the sake of Pinterest, am hoping it's a little more similar to TikTok shopping experience in the sense that it is linked in a piece of content that you really like, that you're interested in learning more about the product. It opens up in the app. There's an easy purchasing funnel and then you kind of re-upload something related to that product that you bought. But I have never considered shopping on Pinterest. So I'm very unclear on what that shopping experience is now and how much of this deep linking will benefit them. I will say I'm interested to find out more. And as like a fashion girly on Pinterest, I'm really curious to see how brands take that opportunity to entice people to click on their their ad rather than it being an ad that kind of fills up your feed. Right. So don't make it feel like an ad on Pinterest. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, that's a good one. Let's get into Reddit now. Ari, tell us about what's going on between Reddit and the mods, because this is this is an interesting one. Yeah, so for a bit of context in this progression on Reddit, Reddit and many of its community moderators have been beefing over the platform's API pricing change since June. At one point, over 8,000 communities went dark in protest. And in response, Reddit pressured moderators who set their subreddits to private by 
kind of threatening to replace them with active and new mods. It largely worked, and now Reddit is inviting mods to participate in some weekly feedback sessions to discuss the needs of users, mods, admins, and the community as a whole, including how subreddits are and should be governed, knowing that current moderators are kind of grandfathered into these subreddits. And Reddit itself is looking for a more diplomatic and democratic way of enacting these moderators on those subreddits. Redditors aren't too keen on this extension of an olive branch. Everything from Reddit admin kind of boiling down to what's the point when Reddit just ignores our feedback now? Well, a very late step. This might be Reddit trying to go in the right direction. It's unrealistic to think that all Redditors are going to be happy with the platform, especially after some new developments on the platform with Reddit removing chat history past 2023 and phasing out their gold award system. But it's a start. And I think it's an opportunity for these moderators and people who use Reddit regularly to have a voice on the platform, especially now with all of these changes happening. And hopefully soon there will be a positive end or at least another story that we can talk about on the podcast. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny when I hear Redditor, when I think about mods and admins, I naturally think about like a dedicated following, like people who are very dedicated to the platform. And so this is really interesting to hear that the Redditors are deviating from what the platform is putting out. Do you think, Kane, that Reddit is making the right moves here? Do you think the olive branch is sincere? Do you think that they can find some resolve? It's a tough one because you don't want Reddit to be like big brother on a platform that's so rooted in like transparency and authenticity, right? So these people are turning to Reddit to oftentimes anonymously share their experiences or opinions or what have you. So it's kind of difficult. You kind of want it to be in the hands of the people that are the participants versus the platform mandating certain things and owning the way that it's running because it is kind of a self-governed platform in a way. So we'll see. I think keeping it I don't want to call it grassroots, but uh, keeping it in the hands and the eyes of those who are participating and truly running the platform makes the most sense to me. Obviously, there needs to be some guardrails for what you can and cannot post and some red flag moments that the platform should step in and alleviate. But I think for the most part, it's one of those platforms that has built success on truly just being this open forum and having those people who are maybe the smartest on a topic or the most engaged in a topic or the most interested in learning about something to be owning that conversation versus having this big brother step in and say, you know, we're changing the way that you're doing this because we need to be, you know, safer. So we'll see. I think I loved the Redditor user ran way of doing it. Hopefully it, the platform doesn't change too much from here. Yeah, well, we'll definitely keep an eye on it because we've always sort of regarded Reddit highly on this show. So hopefully they can just maintain that credibility. All right. Well, Kane, I want to talk about something a little bit more fun, a little bit lighter. Emojipedia shared the most used emojis of 2023 in honor of World Emoji Day. And I feel like we have to discuss that on the show because the logo, the show art is five emojis for the five things. So let's talk about this one, Kane. Break it down for us. What are the most used emojis of 2023? And are they in our logo? Oof, that's a good question. I didn't even connect those dots, but we'll get there. So yes, 
World Emoji Day has just passed us. When we when we were doing the research for this podcast, it came up day of, so I was extremely eager to jump on it. So Emojipedia, who is, I guess, the leader online for emojis, shared its list of the top 10 most used emojis in 2023 thus far, which could provide some perspective on how original or not I am, or you are Joey, or Ari is, in how they use their emojis. I find that fascinating. So, of course, these tiny little cartoonish characters have become a very key element in our modern communication, with virtually every message platform now allowing or offering its own form of a custom emoji responses, leaning into habitual behaviors. So, of course, statistically, there's stats for everything. You're probably not very unique in how you're using your emojis because from what I see here, according to Emojipedia, some of the top emojis are ones I use all the time. But before I get in there, I'm going to flip the script here and ask both of you what you think the most used emoji is in 2023 so far. And I'll give it back to you, Joey. What I think it is, it probably is a smiling emoji, a laughing emoji, and maybe a thumbs up emoji. Okay. Ari? Well, the state of the world makes me think it's like the sobbing one, right? Not just like a regular crying emoji, but like the one where like his mouth is a little open and there's like two full blue streaks running down its eyes. And then to a lesser extent, (laughs) maybe a laughing emoji after that. Probably a heart too. Okay. Well, you guys are absolute geniuses because number one is Ari, the bawling their eyes out crying person. (laughs) Number two is the hysterically laughing person. And number three is the red heart. So you hit the top three within your first guesses. But there are a bunch of other ones, of course. And I want to call out a couple here that were extremely unique because they tie directly back to, of course, not the emotions, but some of the cultural moments that have happened over the past couple months. So one of them in the top, this is global, by the way, one of the in the top 20 was the Argentinian flag which we can probably relate back to the 2022 World Cup and the elevated activity that that nation had and the users to use that flag as that new emoji heights. The next one I thought was super random and interesting was the Easter Island guy, the kind of the stone figure. Uh, A huge moment for the Easter Island stone figure because it's the first time that it has ever made the top 10. So big moment in 2023 for the Easter Island individual. And the other ones are pretty consistent of what we think, you know, Hard eyes, crying, smiles, laughing, giggling, etc. But nonetheless, I think super interesting to look at globally which ones are being used the most. And in this link, if you click on it, follow the podcast and you listen to this, go into the link because it also breaks it down by country and it also breaks it down by platform. So you can see on dating apps what emojis are being most used on different open platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok, which ones. So you can really dig into um, by country as well as by platform how emojis are being used. So even those who may have once resisted, I have always been a fan of emojis. If you've once resisted the charms of these smiley-faced stand-ins, sending an emoji is often just a little bit easier than typing out a full text. And maybe you can get some ideas through this link that will activate your emoji activity just a little bit more because it's fun. I love it. It's really interesting. I had a good chuckle going through this. This is super fun. And I'm looking at the list now and it seems like, yeah, the crying laughing emoji is in our logo. And so is the heart eyes respectively at number five and six. And yeah, that's good for the global most used. Easter Island guy, that is a bit of a surprise on the in the top 20 there. And then now that I'm looking at this by platform, very interesting. The sixth most used emoji on Bumble is the karate outfit. 
<laughs> that was really interesting. Ari, what is your favorite emoji or like what is your most used emoji these days? That's a good question. I feel like recently I've been liking the emoji that's like covering its mouth and blushing. I like that one. But not in like a sincere way, just in like a a sassy way. Yeah. What about you, Kane? What's one that you use the most? I'm literally going to pull up my phone right now and see what is my most used emoji. You know what, Ari? It's the bawling the eyes out one. That's my number one that I had. Also, the guy who's snorting the air out of his nose, like the frustrated guy. Oh my gosh, I love that one too. Those are great. That paints such a sad picture of what I'm talking about in my real life of my two are the frustrated guy and the crying person. I promise I'm not that sad. (laughs) No, you're not alone. (laughs) One of my most used emojis is the hang loose. I don't know why. To me, that just like, there's so many times in a conversation where like a thumbs up doesn't really capture what you're trying to say, but the hang loose is just kind of like, all right, cool, let's move on. All right, and so let's move on with this conversation to our fifth and final thing. Ari, take us home. Talk to us about TikTok announcing a new music licensing agreement with Warner. Of course. Now, I am no lawyer, so apologies if this is as boiled down as I can make it for all of us non-lawyers. But this is the first of its kind deal between Warner Music Group and TikTok. It was announced July 18th and is a huge deal for record labels and artists. This partnership expands the licensing agreement of Warner Recorded Music and Warner Chapel Music to TikTok, its commercial music library, CapCut, which they own, apparently, I did not know, and their new streaming service, TikTok Music. Essentially, what had happened is Warner Music Group will now get a bigger piece of the TikTok pie, acquiring, quote, revenue generation and promotional capabilities, as well as a wealth of insights, unquote. TikTok also stated that artists and songwriters will have access to new ways of working on TikTok's brand partners and monetization features like merchandise, ticketing, and other opportunities, which makes me wonder if TikTok is going to try and maybe become the next Ticketmaster or partner with a Ticketmaster entity at some point. But TikTok Music right now, the platform subscription streaming service is currently only available in Indonesia and Brazil. But this new licensing agreement will help open the door for TikTok to kind of roll this out across the world. And I think they're hoping to start utilizing TikTok Music in the UK and the US. But this opens the door for labels especially to leverage some favorable deals from TikTok as it tries to expand into these other markets. So basically, we'll soon probably be seeing some of these licensing agreements with other music groups like Universal and Sony. TikTok will announce further developments in the coming months, knowing that this news just broke out, but it's expected to have huge implications for how the app operates and how music is used across TikTok's entities. You know, we talk a lot about TikTok and, you know, most people think of it as a video app and, you know, going head to head with reels. But Kane, I think it's very true that TikTok is as much an audio and music app as it is a video app, if not more. Do you think this is maybe taking a play at Spotify or trying to establish itself even deeper in the music industry? I mean, of course, I keep thinking back as you were talking, Ari, to the the Grammy Award winner artist who was just a normal TikTok person and he developed a song that went so viral and got so popular that he won 
or was nominated for song of the year on like in, in the grammys so if that's not validation that it's an audio platform as well as a video platform then that's the highest stage you can get it's interesting you know whether they go down like you said are the Ticketmaster route or the spotify route they're obviously leaning into the idea that audio is another avenue that is just as popular especially accompanied with video right a lot of these tiktok videos that we watch these days yeah you have the voiceover here and there but a lot of them are accompanied with a song bite or some sort of audio file that someone has created you know whether it be an artist themselves or just an individual so i think tiktok has the power to go at any which way at this point i think they're spreading their wings to find out how far they can go you know they 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 obviously ramped up audio efforts earlier this year late last year in a much smaller way than going down this partnership route but i think these partnerships will only just expand the offerings for the users as well as the business opportunity for tiktok and identifying that audio is a platform that they have only really scratched the surface on in a way from like the business standpoint this makes a lot of sense and this could be a domino effect from other partnerships to continue to fall from these big label networks to even amplify tiktok as a leading spot for music and audio to come whether that be a Spotify or place to stream concerts or what have you. I think the user base there is one that's eager to experience something like that. So why not tap into it? Absolutely. For sure. What can't TikTok do? All right. Well, friends, that does it for us today. We had so much fun. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints. Send us a thing you want us to discuss or tell us about your favorite emoji. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel today, Ari and Kane. As always, thanks to Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. On the most recent episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, we chatted with author Cindy Spiegel about writing her second book, Microjoys, Finding Hope, Especially When Life Is Not Okay. After a year of personal struggle and loss in 2023, she wrote Microjoys, a collection of personal essays designed to help us find joy wherever we can. You can hear Cindy's journey writing the book, the lessons she learned from the people closest to her, and a recent microjoy in her life by listening to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, and you can get that anywhere you get this podcast. So that does it for us. Thank you, listener. And always, please be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.